that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. You may be seated. On Sunday nights, we continue to trace that scarlet thread of redemption that's found in the Old Testament that continually points us to the coming of the Messiah. And then as we transition into the New Testament, we'll see it pointing to the Messiah being there in the flesh. And later on in that New Testament, we will see that scarlet thread being pointed back to the Messiah who was here saying, He's coming back. And so as you and I look at the book of 1 Kings tonight, what we see is a book about glory and deliverance. And if you had to assign a key verse, I guess chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, would not be bad verses to, uh, to put there. One of the key phrases in this particular book is going to be the phrase, as his father David. These kings that are going to begin to pile up in First and Second Kings and in First and Second Chronicles are going to be uh, either fairly or unfairly, depending on how you look at it, compared to David. That may not be the greatest comparison. You and I can look at David's life and see where sinful actions were and, and less than stellar actions were and even cowardice actions at times. But as we look forward into the New Testament, we see God make this statement of David, the man after my own heart, in which you and I see the fact that David would oftentimes be confronted with the truth and take that truth that he was confronted with and change. So as these kings are being mentioned and being um, sort of cross-referenced to David, Uh, We see why. Chapter 12 is the turning point. From uh, from, uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 through about chapter 12, you run 40 years of time. That's the span that that, uh, uh, Solomon reigned against or with united Israel. And after his death, there becomes a split in the nation. We no longer have united Israel, but we find divided Israel. This book covers about 119 years worth of history, and the book, its author, its physical author is unknown. Some say Jeremiah, others say Ezra. Uh, There's some great lessons to learn from this book, and one of those we're going to study tonight in 1 Kings chapter number 13. And the, the, the lesson I want us to look at tonight in 1 Kings chapter 13 is the importance that God placed on the prophets which he used. Now, in 1 Kings chapter number 13, you and I find two prophets uh, in this particular chapter. And guess what? We don't know either one of their names. You think a name would be important. Here here are two guys who seemingly are prophets for God in the nation of Israel, but we know names like Ezra, we know names like Ezekiel, and we know names like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Why don't we know these guys' names? 
The quick answer to that is, I don't know. The long answer to that is because God chose not to record them. We have two, king, two prophets here in, in 1 Kings chapter 13. And the younger of the two prophets is told by God, go into the city a certain way and prophesy to them and tell them things are not going to be too great if you don't turn things around. And then I want you to leave the city, but I don't want you to leave the same way you came in. As a matter of fact, don't leave the same way you came in. Don't eat food. Don't drink water. Don't take a nap. Tell them what you got to tell them and keep moving on in 2021 terms. Now, his direction is very clear from God, isn't it? Does God want him to go the same direction back home? Nope. Does God want him to eat there? Nope. Does God want him to drink water there? Nope. Does God want him to maybe take a nap and rest a while before he gets moving again? No. His directions are very clear. Go into the city, tell them this, and then leave. You can't mess that up, can you? My, my, uh, the, the older gentleman back home used to say this, in order to mess that up, you'd have to have help. Right? And so here we find him going and prophesying as he's supposed to, and he doesn't go back the same way. He doesn't eat and he doesn't drink, right? On the scene walks an older prophet. Corbin just read for us. He said, I too am a prophet of God. And God sent me to tell you that you can come back to my house and you can eat and drink. Question. Would you believe him if he told you he was a prophet? Would you believe him if he told you he was a preacher? There are many within the world who look at this particular position as the end-all, be-all authority on anything religious. Here are the facts. One, it ain't. Two, and I ain't. Three, I'm going to throw this in one here for you, Michael. And Michael ain't. This position here is a is a position of honor that we have, is a blessing that we have to stand here. But just because a man occupies a pulpit similar to this does not mean he's telling you the truth. Keep with verse number 18. He said unto him, I'm a prophet just like you. And the angel spake to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. Number one, what's wrong with this young prophet? Did God give him the direction he was supposed to take? All right, shake or nod. Did he change his mind? Can God not tell the younger prophet, it's okay, you could go with this older prophet? He did not tell him that. 
And yet the younger prophet heard this, I'm a prophet like you are, and so he began to trust him. I don't know if the older prophet was really a prophet. The Lord told me I could bring you back. The Lord told me I could do exactly the opposite of what he told you he wanted. And that everything was going to be okay. And the younger prophet believed a lie. It's not the first time in human history that humans have believed a lie. If you look at Genesis chapter number 3 and couple that with 1 Timothy chapter number 2, what you'll find out is that that serpent lied to Eve and she was deceived and she bit on that thing hook, line, and sinker. She believed that lie. Not that, not that she was trying to uh, do anything better. She was just believing a lie. You look in Genesis chapter number 35 and following, when Joseph is sold, and they bring that coat back, and they lay that coat into the hands of their father, and then they don't say a word. leaving Joseph to his imagination. Joseph said, my son, my son must have been killed. And he lived for years believing that son was dead all the time. He was moving through Potiphar's house and up the ranks in Egypt. Now, was Joseph dead? Not by a long shot. But in Jacob's mind, he was dead. He believed a lie. Look at Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> Here you have Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 4, a man by the name of Joseph, uh, who is uh, a fellow who is a uh, Levite, has a spot of land, interestingly, as a Levite. How much land did they get in the, in the division? None. So if this Levite has some land, he's going to hold on to that, isn't he? Well, he sells that land. He gives that money to the church to help the church out. And Ananias and Sapphira see how much praise he's getting from that. They take a piece of land and sell it. That's all well and good. They could have kept all of the money. It's their land. They can do with it what they want to. They could have given a portion of it, which they did. But here's where the problem lies when they said, we've given all of it, and they had not. So they thought everything was going to be okay. You ask those men who were first responsible for carrying out Ananias and then Sapphira, if everything is okay, lying to God. You see, it's not the first time in 1 Kings chapter 13 that mankind has believed a lie. And it's not the first time with man believing a lie that it's cost him something. In 1 Kings 13, when you and I look at this guy here, this young prophet, as he believes this lie, he goes back. And as he's on his way going home, then a lion attacks him. 
It sort of tears him apart, but doesn't really eat him. It just sort of tears him up and then sits by him on the side of the road as a sign to everybody else. What exactly am I supposed to learn from 1 Kings chapter 13? Well, I'm glad you asked that. It is the fact. It is the fact that mankind can believe a lie in any portion of his life. We look at it time and time and time again in religion. So let's, let's just start there. According to the last uh, Barna poll I read, within the continental United States, there are 4,300-ish Christian religions. You see that air quote? To be a Christian religion underneath that particular set of rules, here's what you have to believe. Jesus is the Savior who was sent by God. That's it. Would the church of the New Testament fall underneath there? Yes, but so many others would also who would call themselves a church. How many churches did Jesus build in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19? I will build my church, that's singular, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, verse 18, that's also singular. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of God, that's also singular. Jesus only ever spoke about building one church. So how many churches are there in the United States today? One. Don't believe the lie that is told to you that here's a church and there's a church and everywhere's a church church because that's not necessarily the case. The church is a Greek word. It's two words uh, compounded together. Ek or ek means out of and uh, lasia are the called out ones all, as you stick them all together. Ekklesia, the called out ones. The church, that's the word. Called out from what? Well, Peter would write that we're called out of this world into the marvelous light of Jesus the Christ. Don't believe the lie that any church will do. That's not the case. As once you believe the lie that any church will do, then you have to believe the lie that any method of salvation or method of worship or method of whatever will do. It's just not going to happen. You know how I know not every method of worship will work? Ask Cain. Ask him. You know, in the process of time, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, Cain decided to change things up just a little bit. No longer offering the fat and the blood of the animal, but rather the, the best of the, of the garden that he has. And it wasn't good enough. According to Hebrews chapter number 9 and 10, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And I can't tell you the amount of ears of corn I've cut into and never touched a drop of blood. Once I began to believe the lie 
<coughs> in religion that, that one church is as good as another or one method of worship is as good as another, then I have to believe that one Savior is just as good as another. Don't believe those lies. There is one Savior sent by God himself, and that is the Savior Jesus the Christ. And it's through his blood and through his church by which man is saved, and that's it. <coughs> I would like to say the United States is unique, but it's not very. But we have been fed an additional lie through the years. And uh, you can watch it change over time. And here is the lie. God wants you to be happy in marriage. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? You know... In its, in its rudimentary form, I would say that's a truth. But you have to be cautious about why you say that. Because it's usually followed up with, because I don't love Miss Brandy anymore, I want to love this person. Mm. Now, if you don't listen to anything else... Listen to this. You won't find a verse in the Old or the New Testament where God says, I hope you're happy. As a matter of fact, that can be your homework this week. Look it up. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I want you to be faithful and when my mind is, is focused in on what God says the right way, then my faithfulness is going to lead to my happiness. It's going to lead to joy. There's not a point in time where God says, I want you to be happy. And if that means ditching your wife and getting a younger model, then that's what you should do. It was from Genesis chapter 2 forward that God set the regulations and Jesus reset those regulations as he was here with a stipulation. One man, one woman, and I can't believe we have to say it like that. One man, one woman, one life with one exception. Matthew 19 and verse number 9. To believe anything outside of what God teaches about marriage is to believe a lie. And we look at our marriages and say, why is our country where it's at? If we can't follow God's regulation in marriage, why can we follow it in anything else? This young prophet believed a lie. And I can too. How about this lie? Situational ethics. Y'all don't have a clue what that means. And I'm going I'm to teach you how they've repackaged it for you. Do you know what my truth is? My truth, that phrase is, write this down, are you ready? Is an L 
I, E, lie. There is no my truth and your truth. There is truth. Whether I like it or not, my truth is the 2021 version of situational ethics. <coughs> it is whatever uh, works well enough to get me through this situation to have me coming out smelling like roses is everything that I should be doing. It's my truth. You can't hold my truth against me. And that's a big fat lie. Don't buy into that. Here are the situational ethics that are found in the Bible. The truth is God's Word, John 17 and verse 17, and that truth will stand when the world's on fire. Now, you can either be a part of that or you can be against that. And we, in some ways, have become like that younger prophet when we believe that lie. I can't, I, this is their truth. This is not their truth. This is not my truth. This is what the truth is, in fact. Let me give you one more phrase for the younger prophet that I hope will help you as you and I look at him and that older prophet in believing a lie. <laughs> And this phrase is said consistently around our house to our children so that they will understand why these things did not work out in the fairy tale manner in which we thought they would. All right, if you're, if you're writing, here it is. When everything is not done God's way, there will be Problems, period. There's just some truth. When, when things are not done God's way, when it's not done to God's specifications, there will be problems. Why? Because God's way is right, and every other way, first, is not his way, secondly, is not right. That's why we have to mention things like one man and one woman for one life. So we have to mention things like my truth and your truth and situational truth. That's why we have to mention things like <laughs> not every way a person decides to worship is the correct way. Because what we do, or where we live rather, is around a bunch of young prophets. Sometimes we find ourselves being in that group. Sometimes we find ourselves wanting to, to believe that lie or wanting to do something different or wanting to do something new or... Listen to the words of Jeremiah. Seek ye the old paths. You know what he's saying there? Young folks, you know what he's saying there? In matters that God would regulate, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Follow after those tried and true paths if it comes to religion, if it comes to family and marriage, as it comes to situational ethics. Don't believe the garbage that they are trying to force feed you. 
Here it is. In black and in white. And if you have a different kind of Bible than this one, sometimes red. This is what God expects. This is the manner by which you and I will be judged. Not if I believed a, a prophet on the road somewhere that told me I could change. Not if I believed a man in a pulpit somewhere like this who said I can do this or I can do that. What does this say? How many of you remember growing up in school when they had books? Y'all know that. Y'all, by the way, for y'all who don't, who don't, y'all know they don't have books anymore, right? <coughs> Sometimes you, you grew up in school and, and the teacher would be benevolent and kind. And they would say, we're going to have a test. Great. And they, they thought this phrase, they thought this phrase helped you out a little bit. It's going to be open book. Like that helps me out, any. The questions would be written exactly from the book, word for word. I couldn't find them. I think it was an intention thing. I, I, I couldn't hold my attention that close. Maybe that's an excuse. I'm telling you this. There's going to be a test. On that test, that day of that test, it will not be open book. It will be, how close did you live to the book? Second Timothy, chapter number 2, and verse number 15, Paul would write by the inspiration of God and would write these words, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of truth. Notice what he's saying. Study, because there's going to be a test. Live the book. You are responsible for you and the pages of that book. And you are not responsible for living after what some guy somewhere in a pulpit says. You are responsible for this. And just for us, James chapter 3 and verse number 1 is still in there. Don't be too many, too many of you don't be teachers knowing that you will have the greater condemnation. You know what that James 3, 1 tells me? You better make sure what you're preaching is right. 
Don't believe a lie. Believe the truth. It's right there in your laps. Has been for years. Open it up. Read those words. Do those things and live. Close it. Guess about what those words say. Try to live kind of close to it. And find yourself ask, answering the question, why didn't you do what I said? In order to do what God says, we have to put on Christ in baptism. Have you done that? Do you need to do that? The water is warm. It's right back here. It's ready to go. All you have to do is hear what God has to say and believe those things. Confess that Jesus is the Christ. Be, uh, <coughs> repent, <laughs> repent of your sin and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, being raised to walk in newness of life. And you can be added to the family of God tonight. And if you've done those things, brother, sister, let me encourage you. Stay inside that word. Do what it says. Find yourself in life everlasting. But if you look at it and you think, maybe I have believed a lie about this or that. And it's time to come home. Come back to him, the one who gave his son for you, the one who is missing you right now, whose family wants you back. And do those things right now while we stand and sing. There's a